Welcome to I Am the Space Where I Am. This is your host, Tony Award-winning set designer, John Arnone. In this podcast series, I'll be one-on-one with designers, playwrights, directors, and actors, and we'll be discussing the lives and careers of legendary theater luminaries and how their work developed. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy the show. I would like to begin today's podcast on Tanya Maseevich with some biographical information. Tanya was born in London on December 3, 1914. Tanya's mother, Daisy Kennedy's second husband, John Drinkwater, immersed her in his life in the theater as a playwright, actor, and director. In 1930, Tanya entered the Central School of Arts and Crafts, which led her to a milliner's job at the Old Vic and the Sadler's Wells Theatre, where she met Sir Tyrone Guthrie. Working at the Westminster Theatre, she met Hugh Hunt, who in 1935 hired her as resident designer at the Abbey, Ireland's National Theatre. Quoting Tanya, I was invited by Hugh Hunt to come to the Abbey Theatre in Ireland. He wanted someone to design for him, but he really wanted to say what he wanted in the way of layout for the stage plan. He also wanted a certain amount to do with the color and the atmosphere, but he was very open-minded about costumes and said, just do what you can in the time we have. And there was very little time, because when I got to Dublin, I found out there was a whole other way of working. It was repertory in the truest sense. They'd pull things out of stock that had been hidden for 10 years and dusted them off, and the show went on on Monday. A new show every Monday. It didn't always look quite as spruce as perhaps one would wish. Hugh Hunt was on a trial basis, as was I, for three months. We tried to raise the standards a bit from the scenic angle. The acting angle, of course, was simply wonderful, but costumes hardly existed. You had to do quite a lot of imagining. We were there for three months waiting to be told whether or not we should go back to England. As it turned out, We both stayed there for over three years. After World War II, Tanya and Sir Tyrone Guthrie began their collaborations, creating dozens of productions at the Old Vic's New Theatre in London. Tanya remembering her work at the Old Vic. We worked at Cyrano with the idea of fitting it into the Old Vic's repertory program. I was told that there would be four or five plays on the stage which did not have much wing space. It was a case of trying to find storage space in the wings when your play wasn't on the stage and King Lear or something else was taking place. We didn't take too much note of the measurements and the first set of models that were presented to Laurence Olivier Guthrie and I thought were pretty ingenious in scene change. 
Olivier looked at the model rather quietly and said, Does she think we're doing this at the Colosseum? And, well, no, I didn't think that. It was the new theater stage. I've got the measurements and everything. Olivier said, Yes, but it's in repertory, you know. We're doing other plays as well. And I said, Yes, I do know. Well, it's much too big. It won't do, and you must think again. Tony Guthrie wasn't used to being told you must think again, but he said, yes, well, of course, we will try and accommodate a bit. We don't want to be selfish and take up too much room. And Larry said, well, it isn't only when it's on the stage that it's too big. It's when it's off stage. That was the beginning of a series of rethinks, which went on for several days and nights. We changed it and changed it and changed it until it was eventually accepted. It did work, and we fit it in with all of the plays. Her collaboration with Sir Tyrone Guthrie ultimately led to their groundbreaking architectural designs in 1956, the Festival Theatre in Stratford, Ontario, 1962, the Guthrie Theatre in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and in 1970, the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield, England. The innovative design of the theatres included a balcony backed by a wall with open entrances and exits supported on pillars of Tuscan design. The lower level featured the majestic thrust stage with wraparound steps and a moat to accommodate sight lines. The audience surrounded the thrust on all sides. Many theaters, including Lincoln Center's Vivian Beaumont, the Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles, and the Festival Theater in Chichester, England, follow the design. Legendary productions of the House of Atrus, Phaedra Britannica, the Government Inspector, and Tartuffe continue to be celebrated as theatrical landmarks. Remembering the House of Atrus, Guthrie said, Well now, Apollo, you know, ought to be about nine foot tall. Well, looking at him, I could see that nine feet just meant a few inches above his head. All very well for you. But think of the actor going up that high. Is he going to have to walk about? Oh, yes, yes. Mostly, they were built Cathernae, which were based on what we did at Stratford for Oedipus. They worked at Stratford. Douglas Campbell, who was in both productions, who played Clytemnestra and Pallas Athena, knew they'd work. But when we were asked to go up to a certain height beyond that, Gordon Smith, the production manager, one day came into wardrobe. He was walking on one foot six extensions under his shoes, which were called plasterer's stilts. They are commercial. You buy them in the shops. He was lent a pair, and he went scouting around for ideas, and no obligation to purchase if it didn't work. He walked around with people not noticing he was walking in any other way, except he was very tall. 
Of course, one actor, the man who played Apollo, Lee Richardson, had to be coerced into trying them on. The first few steps were very tentative. He was holding on to two people. He let go, and he started to walk. Tanya Moseevich was made a commander of the Order of the British Empire in 1976. She was posthumously appointed as an honorary officer of the Order of Canada for her enormous impact on the theater arts in the 20th century. Tanya Moseevich died on February 19th, 2003. Patrick Kelly is professor of drama emeritus at University of Dallas, where with Judy, his wife, he taught for 42 years. Besides scores of campus productions, he has directed plays at professional theaters around the country. He has also taught in graduate theater programs at the University of Washington, Denver's National Theater Conservatory, the University of Colorado at Boulder, and Southern Methodist University. In addition to classics, Kelly has directed new plays with living playwrights, including Eduardo Machado, Thomas Babe, and Octavio Solis. The most recent of his many Shakespeare productions was Much Ado About Nothing for Shakespeare Dallas. His bachelor's degree is from Notre Dame, his MFA from SMU's Meadows School of the Arts. Today we'll be discussing his longtime friendship with legendary costume designer Tanya Maseevich and her association with Sir Tyrone Guthrie. Please welcome Mr. Patrick Kelly. How and when did you meet Tanya? This is a good story. It's one of the ones that I enjoy. When Judy and I were first married, this was in 1969, we took a summer trip through Europe. And before we left, I got Guthrie's address through his U.S. agent and wrote him a note, a, a letter explaining that we were these young teachers and we'd just been married and we were going to be in Europe. And we wondered if we could buy him a drink somewhere. And he was good enough to answer. Within a week, we got this emerald green aerogram in Guthrie's inimitable spiky handwriting to Patrick Kelly Esquire. And he said, we'll be directing a play in the Abbey in July. And if you're in Dublin, that would be wonderful. And why don't you come out and stay with Judy, his wife, me, uh, and me on the weekend. Do you remember what year this was, Patrick? It was 1969. Okay. Guthrie was directing at the Abbey for the first time in many years and directing a play by a neighbor of his called Eugene McCabe, who is famous as a, a great short story writer now. But this was a play about Jonathan Swift called Swift. And uh, Swift, Guthrie had heard the... North Irish actor Colin Blakely read the, the play the year before, playing the role of Swift. And he was mo most taken with it. So he accepted an offer from the Abbey to direct the play there. And then Colin Blakely became unavailable. He had a movie. So Guthrie found himself with a play that he needed to direct and nobody to play the major role, the lead part. So he hired the Irish 
extreme Irish eccentric, but very famous actor, McKeel McCleamore, to play Swift. They had never worked together, and McCleamore was, was much quite a diva. And so they went into rehearsal. That is what they were rehearsing the Friday that Judy and I showed up in the Abbey lobby. And Tanya was the first person that we recognized. And she came, we of course went up to her and she said, oh, thank God you came up because Tony had told me to go out to the lobby in the Abbey Theater and ask for a young couple named Kelly. <laughs> and she said, you know, in Dublin, here we are. And so she was much relieved that we had, had connected. And then Guthrie came out from rehearsal on a break. We, we met and he was most accommodating and charming. Couldn't have been nicer. So we all agreed to meet back at a, at, after rehearsal was over and to ride to his house in north, uh, the north part of the Irish Republic. After- Tanya would have been, what, about mid-50s by this point? She was about 55 at that time. Dr. Guthrie would have been, what, in his 60s? He was, he was 69 years old. He just had his birthday. Tanya was designing the play, of course, and it was a complete surprise to us that she was there. And so we all drove back with, with a young man who was part of the families that lived on the, the estate, which was a farmhouse, and uh, took care of the estate and the Guthries. And uh, so young McGuire drove us back through the, the winding streets and, and roads of uh, Monaghan County. Are you talking about Dr. Guthrie's uh, homestead? It was his mother's family's house. It had been left to him, and he he had spent many years there, of course, but always had been based in London. And when his mother died, he and Judy moved in and resolved to make that obscure corner of North Ireland a kind of international center. And of course, he, he did, with all of his collaborators coming there to do the preliminary work on productions. Anyway, Tanya was there. She had designed Swift, and she was designing uh, Uncle Vanya. At the Abbey? No, this would be for the Guthrie Theater. It was the last, it would be the last play Guthrie directed there. Oh, it was, it was going on. We were there in the middle of July, and this may be of interest. We were there on the night and morning of the Apollo landing on the moon that Tanya was listening to it on her portable radio and the, the Burnses and the McGuire's, the, the, the uh, retainers who lived on, on the place were all listening to Guthrie and his wife couldn't have been less interested, but uh, we had a, a perfectly wonderful weekend together, just generally having a very nice time. This was McCook's Corner. We missed that. That McCook's Corner was one that he did before Swift, and it was something oh, okay. that he did for the little theater in the Abbey. And uh, I'm sorry we didn't see it, but um, in any case, the great thing was that Tanya said as we were talking and, and telling her we were just about to go to London for the first time, and so she said, "Well, there's some people there that I'd like you to meet, and I think might enjoy meeting you." So. She wrote letters of introduction to Patrick Donnell, who was the managing director of the National Theatre at that time, Desmond Hall, who was the technical director at Stratford at the time, and Katie Flanagan, 
who was a longtime employee at Stratford, who was in charge now of subscription audience. And so these were all friends of, of Tanya's of many years standing, and they welcomed us with very open arms. So from that time on, really sort of part of the family, we saw her again in Stratford the next year, and in fact stayed with her, where she was direct, uh, designing Cymbeline. And then in 1972, we visited her in Sheffield. She was the resident designer and was at the time working on a revival of Aeschylus's The Persians, which would open in the fall. But we often saw her in the shop, at, in, you know, at Stratford and at the Guthrie later and at Sheffield. And, you know, we, we carried on a friendship over many years. Was Dr. Guthrie with her at that point when you all were visiting or? It was just the three of us. Guthrie, unhappily, died in 1971, two years after we had met him. And he was also, at the, at the time he passed away, he was planning a revival at Sheffield of the House of Atrus. Right. The epic Aeschylus tragedy of the Oresteia. That was like around in 1967 or... We flew up to Minneapolis and saw the final performance of that season. You hadn't met Tanya before that, had you? No, no, we hadn't. I had seen Guthrie's Atrus, his Cherry Orchard, Richard III, all at the Guthrie, and his uh, Measure for Measure that he did with the Bristol Old Vic tour that played Dallas in 1967, early, I think. Going backwards, that Richard III was, in 1953, was the first well, production that, that opened uh, yeah. Stratford, Ontario. It was, and I believe that when... Alec Guinness, I think. Well, when he did it, what would it have been, 12 years later at the Guthrie, Hume Cronin played the part. And uh, it was basically the same production that, you know, he'd, he'd found out how he liked to do it, and that's what they did. The Cherry Orchard was uh, a wonderful. Uh, we were uh, fans, of course, from the, from the get-go, and so I was inclined to like everything of his that I saw. He's still ir irreplaceable, I think, and brought something to his productions that I... I Still never seen another director able to do. But Let's go back to the, the House of Atrus, since that's yeah. such a banner production. Had you seen anything like that before? Never. I saw the film of the Oedipus right. by that time, of course. It's a very, in my opinion, it's a very primitive film and not particularly well managed, but... I did get a chance to, of course, see how the costumes and the acting worked, and it was pretty much a revelation. But Atrus was of a scale that was well beyond that. It was, well, the first thing, it's three plays. And so it was a, an amazing, it was a large cast. All the, the principal roles were all played by men. Doug Campbell played Clytemnestra and then... In the final act, Pallas Athena. Robin Gamble played both Electra and Cassandra, the wonderful actor. Tanya designed both the scenery 
and the costumes, right? There was extremely little in the way of scenery. The only real scenic element in Atrus was a pair of doors set upstage in the center that through which the characters all entered and exited. From my reading, it sounds like that's pretty much what the tent production at uh, Stratford was like. Yeah, it was pretty much like that. This is interesting because she obviously, uh, as we know, designed with Dr. Guthrie, the Guthrie stage in Minneapolis. Yes, yes that the, the Stratford stage. And after that, the stage at Sheffield. Sheffield, the, the theater that's called the, the Crucible. Crucible. Yeah, the Crucible Theater there. And I've seen photos of the Crucible Theater. I've actually and just seen photos of the Ontario tent set up and, of course, have worked on the Guthrie stage in Minneapolis. So, they, And they all three seem to share a, a certain central idea. I think that they are more alike than distinct from each other. I think that both Guthrie and Tanya were most pleased with the, the Sheffield Theater. The Crucible. The Crucible, yeah. And I think the reason for that is the Crucible only required 800 seats. The Guthrie had begun with about 1,450. Right. And Bradford, with counting the balcony, um, 21, 2,200. And <laughs> Guthrie said they were just a little bit too, that the furthest people were a little too far away from the stage at Stratford to suit him and to suit the acting it required. The Guthrie was more successful, although I don't believe that Guthrie had a good relationship with Ralph Rapson, the architect on that, but I think it produced nevertheless a very fine auditorium, certainly one that ins inspired me. I'm going to ask, as a director, You've stood, I know you've stood on the Guthrie stage in Minneapolis. I assume you have been able to stand on yeah. the stage in Stratford, Ontario. Yeah. I don't know if you ever had a chance to stand on the stage on the Crucible. I did. It, what is that experience like? It's very different to standing in a proscenium stage, because my experience there on Broadway and uh, elsewhere, because I remember we went on stage at The Goat that you designed. The experience of that is feeling, number one, that the stage is very small in a, in a proscenium house, at least those I've been in. I've also been on the Met stage, which is enormous, but the feeling in all of them is that you are looking into a black hole, that the audience is somewhat remote from you as, a, as an actor, and that it's contained. When you're on the stage at Stratford or any of those thrusts, you are surrounded. You feel almost closed in by the, by the uh, audience. And you, you feel, with those three houses at any rate, that you, you are the absolute focus. Tanya had, she was very untheoretical when she would discuss things about design. She, she had an idea like um, the thrust stages all had what she called a magic circle. And the magic circle was an area 
through which every pair of eyes in the auditorium would look if the person were sitting straight in the chair. That it was downstage from the skena, and it, it was the axis of all the seating. It would be like the seating, although irregular at the Guthrie, the seating was like a wheel. The axle the, around which the, the wheel turned was a point in the center of the thrust, down from what she called the skena. That's interesting because at the Crucible Theater, the drawings that I've seen, preliminary drawings included a turntable. They do, and they they built that also. I thought they cut that from the final design. Did it, that end up there? I do not remember it there, but I think that it is. It perhaps was put in in subsequent years. Because it, in, in the the reading, uh, some of which you've sent me, it seemed to be a way of delivering furniture, but it did talk about this downstage circle. That's the important one. I just thought a wonderful rule of thumb about putting up thrust stages. I, I know that it isn't something that you find, for instance, at the Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles, that there the thrust seems to exist in a different way. And at Circle in the Square in New York, a, a similar thing. It's interesting what you're saying about uh, Tanya not being very philosophical. I mean, I think a lot right. of times with designers, I mean, there, there are not a lot of designers except from Bel Geddes to Appiah to Robert Edmund Jones yeah. who've actually written philosophy down. And now what we've seen past them, the designers are written about. She was always very, you know, she had a, a, a long career and she also enjoyed a reputation that was uh, quite well well deserved but as being a very kindly and we'd call her supportive person did she ever retire patrick before 2003 she did she we were with her as it happened on the final opening night of her theater career stratford ontario and it was in about 80 four maybe she turned 70 and she was designing the costumes for the uh, government inspector it was directed by ronald air it was during john hirsch's regime as artistic director at stratford what was this before or after the tartuffe it was after the tartuffe oh, okay Okay. Um, she actually, we baby, we uh, house sat for her in London while she was working on that one in Stratford. So this one was in 1984. Her final, yeah, it was. That was when we we lived at her apartment. She had done the government inspector before. Hadn't she you? had actually. She did it at the Guthrie for Michael Langham. We had seen that production as well. Anyway, at the the government inspector. She was given some grand award at the end of the show, and John Hirsch presented it, and she went down to the stage and graciously accepted. And then she retired. She died 18 years later. And in her retirement, she hired an archivist to help her 
put into order all of her papers and all the, the professional stuff that she had accumulated over the years. I don't know where these papers went. I suspect they're at the Victorian Albert. No, Tanya um, enjoyed her retirement, but she resolutely resisted any, any efforts to work. She, she had said, apropos of, of her decision, she said, you know, working on the government inspector, there was a moment when she realized that everybody else on the, uh, on the crew was moving a little faster and not feeling quite so tired sometimes. And she felt uh, that this was a little sign that it was time for her to not do that anymore. She'd certainly, oh my, the uh, intensity of her work was fantastic. Um, you know, she directed or designed three productions for John Dexter at the uh, Met in New York. Uh, and for those things, a costumer does 150 uh, costume designs. Well, what she did, a, a Peter Grimes? The original productions of Peter Grimes at Drury Lane first, and then um, at uh, the Metropolitan Opera when they moved into their new house right. uh, in Lincoln Center. Um, she and Guthrie uh, did that, and John Vickers was singing the part at that time. I'm trying to remember the other opera she designed at the Met. She did Rigoletto, La Traviata, and these were during Dexter's times. Did you happen to see any of those? Or? We saw them on TV, and we saw the, the La Traviata on tour, and we saw the, the Rigoletto on TV. Uh, she and Dexter were working on a production of Don Carlos of Verdi when Dexter was sacked as uh, as production design director at um, at the Met. So that that never happened. But um, she, you know, she uh, worked with Dexter twice doing his misanthrope, which played on Broadway um, from the National and with Diana Rigg and Alec McCown. Also, then they reunited with Diana Rigg on an English version of, of uh, Racine's Phaedra called Phaedra Britannica. You know, Dexter was a terrifying person to be around, and he was very, I think, kind of a mean person, really. But he was always on his best behavior with Tanya. And she really valued his collaboration and, and friendship over the years, which I thought was was really quite something. Was that Tony Harrison? Yes, it was. Harrison was the was the translator who really the misanthrope made his uh, career. It was his great breakthrough. Um, very interestingly, Harrison was also a close friend of Jocelyn Herbert and did some work for her at the National as well. Um, the production of the Oresteia. Another area we can talk about uh, too, but if she ever met any of her contemporary costume and, and set designers, both British and American, if she ever spoke about Melziner. Oh, a, this was what I, something I, I'd hoped to get at earlier. Tanya. At, at least when we saw her, and I think that this was true given what people had said about earlier times, wherever she worked, she almost always 
created the atmosphere of a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in a wonderful way of, of being very sensitive to people. And she enjoyed the company. She enjoyed the, the work together. And she was also, her professionalism was ex- impeccable. She would never repeat gossip. She, she simply, it just didn't, it, it just didn't happen. And she did have, so she, of course, didn't express opinions about other designers at all. She did, I know that she was encouraging to many designers, was always very generous in assessing them. She thought little of her abilities to draw and she always would would be very admiring of people who could draw well. I love the way she draws, but... I do too. I think she was a little self-effacing there. If you look at her, the development of her drafting and drawing skills, what you see in 1930, in the 30s, is incredibly different by the time you get to the you know the even the 50, 40s or 50s yeah. i mean it seemed like her style and drawing evolved she was educated at the central school which certainly would have informed or encouraged drawing skills i find with designers that the more the longer their careers are there is an arc of development in terms of their skill as a draftsman or i'm Very grateful, John, for your giving me the chance to do this. We've run out of time. I'd like to thank our guests and you, our listeners, for tuning in. Please join us for new episodes featuring designers, playwrights, actors, and directors discussing the lives and careers of legendary theater luminaries and how their work developed. This is your host, John Arnone, For I am the space where I am.